everybody. This is Hater Radio. My name is Chris McLean. I'm here with my co-host, Ian Gibson. How are you, Ian? I'm doing very good. Hey, so what this is, is a college football podcast that we do every week. We will do a uh, recap of the games that previously happened. And then we will do a Heisman watch list or standings or whatever you like to call it. Um, we'll look at the possible playoff teams and the first couple of ones that just missed. And then we'll then do a preview of the weeks coming uh, up ahead. So that's the whole show that we do. We'll also talk about major storylines. Um, we cover mainly the most important uh, games and the most important teams in college football. Not that we completely ignore smaller schools, but are, are schools that aren't doing that well. We just, it's, there's so much in college football that it'd be kind of hard to cover every single game. It just, it's just, you have to cut, cut it down to a certain amount. So we focus on Southern teams, uh, the ACC, SEC a lot. Uh, but we do cover a lot of the Big Ten and the Pac-12, Pac-12 specifically because I live here in L.A. Um, you know, right now USC and UCLA are doing so well, so it's it's helpful to be able to uh, uh, cover those guys. Um, but that's who we cover. So with that in mind, let's do the uh, week six uh, uh, recap, which was a crazy week, a lot going on, a lot of big games. Uh, the first game we had was Tennessee LSU. Tennessee just destroyed LSU. I mean, it was it wasn't even close. The game was like 10 nothing within uh what was it? Um within 2 minutes. Yeah, uh, it was like it was- yeah, they they fumbled the opening kick and uh Tennessee recovered it and then um uh you know, it just it was it was ridiculous. I was like, I was amazed. I was like, what is going on here? Um, you know, but I'm not the biggest fan on LSU. You know, they look like trash against FSU to beginning the year. And um, and they still had a chance to potentially tie that game into overtime. But they, I don't know, they just, they never really... I don't I what amazes me the most out of LSU so far this year is how they beat Mississippi State. Yeah. Like I I that's still like right now considering how well Mississippi State's been doing, I don't know how in the hell they did that. I really don't. And I know that game was somewhat close into the fourth quarter, but it's just like I just seeing this team, they're they're I don't know, offensively they struggle. Not that Jaden Daniels had like the worst game, but you know, I mean, he threw for over 300 yards, but he had to because they were behind the entire time. Yeah. So it was like they couldn't really run the ball and they didn't really run the ball. They only ran it for like 55 yards. So they completely went away from the run game the entire time. So I don't know. Um, I just, this LSU team doesn't seem like it's, Destined for greatness, obviously, and I don't think um, – I don't know. I'm looking at their schedule right now with uh, – when they have um, Ole Miss, Alabama coming up, like like Arkansas. Arkansas is after that, yeah, which yeah. is a sticky one. And then even Texas A&M they could potentially lose because I would think Texas A&M is better than them. 
Like at least defensively, right? You know, like Texas yeah. A&M's defense is good, and so and I, I know you probably love this, but the UAB game is no like, it's not, yeah, that's not a gimme. You yeah. know, like they're they're not a incompetent team. They're definitely a team that like if you don't get up for, they're gonna beat you. And LSU is definitely beatable this year. So that's, I mean. And and I don't know about the Florida game. We'll talk about it later. But like, I, I really want to focus on those last five because those last five look like at least four potential losses there. And right now they have two losses, so that's six and six at best right now. Like that's man, that's rough. But they weren't. They haven't been good for the last two years. So it's not like it's not like this team is just going to miraculously turn it on after struggling the last two years. Next year is a different scenario. I'm sure they'll probably get it together next year, but this year is just, it's a loss basically for them. But I will counter now and talk about Tennessee. Their offense is really good. It's undoubtable that you can't, you can't tell me that they don't have a good offense. I don't think anyone in the country could argue that their offense is not, if not top five, maybe even like top two at this point. Them I'd say pro- they have the best offense in the SEC. Yeah, that's definitely I'll a true statement. I'll say with Mississippi State. I would say between a toss-up between Tennessee well, and Mississippi yeah, right yeah, you you Ole Miss is still up there, but I would say probably Mississippi State is probably – it's Mississippi State and Tennessee. I, that would be an interesting game. I would love to see that. That would this, be a fun game, yeah. And I'm 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 kind of mad that they didn't get matched up this year. That would have been nice, um, especially because of how good Will Rogers is doing. But uh, no, but Tennessee. I think the one thing that they have not faced yet is an is a another good offense, which I know, honestly, that'll be their kryptonite because their defense is not very good. So, like, if they do in this coming matchup that we'll talk about coming up. Um, with Alabama depends on what happens with Bryce Young, but um, I just want to see Tennessee go up against a good defense. That's or a good offense. That's like my main concern because right now Florida isn't that great of an offense. It's okay. Um, uh, you know, Pitt was like okay. Slovis got hurt, so you really can't judge it there. And then this last one, LSU, is not a good offense. So those are the three best teams they've played. You know, they have tougher teams on the schedule. You know, they've got Bama, they've got Georgia. Um, you know, uh I even, you know, I'm actually the more the season is actually going on, I'm getting more and more intrigued about Vanderbilt. And like yeah. I would I I actually am curious about because their offense isn't terrible. They can move the ball. It's just I think the thing is if they can like come up with a defensive plan against Tennessee. Maybe they have a chance. I don't know. I mean, they would have to I, throw the book at, at everything to just stay in the game because of the talent differential between the two though, but they should. And if I were to try that, if I were uh, Clark Lee, I would definitely do that because it's like, it seems like if they can make enough stops, their offense will score some points and they just need to like, Force Hendon Hooker into turnovers, which he doesn't do, which I think that's that's probably why he is as like highly touted as he's been is because he doesn't turn the ball over. And that's huge when you're keeping possession 
and uh, not giving away free possessions to the other team, you're basically almost guaranteeing yourself like a 10 point cushion right there because, you know, like that's why like Alabama does what they do is because they get those special teams plays, you know, those turnovers on defense. And those are the difference in all those games. Every one of those games they play, Will Anderson makes a pick six or Will, uh, uh, one of their DBs, you know, picks it off or whatever. And that's, that's really why Alabama has been so good over the last 15 years is because they can do that. And, you know, I, we'll talk more about that Tennessee game, but uh, let me get you some of your thoughts. I've been talking the whole time. Yeah, this game, it just showed that, you know, LSU is obviously rebuilding and they're in a deep rebuild. This was more of a talent differential than anything else because all the offensive talent um, was on Tennessee side. And you could clearly tell that. And not only that, I think the biggest thing was too, was that I'm not saying Hennon Hooker had a bad game, but he didn't need to have a good one because they were kind of just running all over the place. This shows more or less that LSU's defense is the biggest weakness um, this year so far. That they, they even when they're not trying, Tennessee was able to score forty on them, um, and it was all about you know making you know smart plays, making it into those like second and third manageable downs. So it's at least like less than two or three yards, almost have on first down every play. Um, but all yeah, the offense was just clicking on all cylinders for Tennessee. Um, and again, Hendon Hooker, I'm not saying he had a bad game at all, but of course, we're, he's not going to like throw or run for 500 yards. But you could definitely tell he was accurate. He was precise. I think this was actually probably his, in my opinion, his best passing game. He didn't really need to use his legs at all because it wasn't necessary because they could go to the running game, which are pretty small. I think had over 100 yards. Well, um, he had 127 and two TDs. Yeah, he he went yeah. off. So, and and with that, but with LSU, yeah, like you said, you know, Jaden Daniels did everything he could, but literally, it's him and everybody else. Like, it, it, he is the offense for them, and you can't beat teams like Tennessee right now with that. Just that. So, this is a very uh, good win for Tennessee. Um, definitely, you know separates them you know they're kind of in that upper echelon now um they're you know moving past you know weaker teams like lsu i will also say credit still a gator fan but they do have one player on tennessee that i am a fan of only for his name squirrel white i was watching the game i think he caught and ran a ball and i was like that is the best name i have ever heard i don't care what team he's on he's my favorite player let me see. Squirrel. His first name is Marcarius. I thought they were calling him Squirrel. It, mu- it must be like what his nickname is, and they just call him that. He wants to be called that. Yeah, they, I was hearing on the broadcast they were calling him like uh, Squirrel, squirrel and stuff, and I was like, that is awesome. Well, there's a lot of guys that just go by their nicknames, and they end up like using that in the media guides and what they say on on TV, and it's not technically their their real yeah. names. I mean, remember BJ Upton? That his nick his name is not anything to do with BJ. It was only yeah. Boss Man Junior, and that's because yeah. his dad was Boss Man. Um, yeah, true. Yeah. Okay. So, 
That's your raised nostalgia from 2008 to 2012, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Not that everyone cares that listens to this, but whatever. Uh, okay, so next game. Dude, I... <laughs> I'm kind of not surprised because Dylan Gabriel was hurt. And I'm also not surprised because Quinn Ewers came back. But 49 to nothing, I think, was the worst beat down that Texas has ever put down on Oklahoma. And this game was never close. Oh. I watched Oklahoma's offense in the recap. It was terrible. I mean, there were so few highlights. They had... Uh, 39, uh, yeah, 39 yards passing, which that I've never seen that. Like, you know, Florida did bad, obviously struggling with their passing a game against Missouri, but 39, and then they only had 156 yards rushing. So a total of 195 yards, Texas had 585 yards. That's huge. Like that is such a disparity. Like, I mean, you can visually see the ass kicking and, the it was not just that they were passing on them they were running all over them too like yeah. texas had nearly 300 yards and um you know everyone was feasting like everyone had basically there's guys with eight eight averages 8.5 7 yard carry averages uh 6.3 5.6 bijan robinson had a huge game 130 yards two tds so these guys were moving the ball at will and literally the only thing that went wrong was one interception by yours and that was it everything else was uh texas and time of possession didn't even matter just because because nah. like texas didn't care they were just going to score points they did and have they the ball longer so fast yeah it was like they were just moving down the field like with ease i've you know, Brent Venables is supposed to be a defensive specialist. He did very well at Clemson over the years, but this was terrible. I don't know. I don't know if that's just a holdover from the last several years with Oklahoma because they really haven't been a good defense, you know, last little while there. Um, but um, you know, he's gotta he's gotta change that, you know, minimum that. I don't know about the offense. Yeah. I don't know what their offensive coordinator is like. I don't know what they're trying to do. Dylan Gabriel, you know, may not be the long-term answer. He's just here maybe this year next, and that's it. Um, but, uh, you know, they need to figure it out. They look like recruiting-wise they're not doing terrible. They did get that one guy that was supposed to go to Florida, um, Evers. I don't remember his, his first name, but he, you know, is there. But I, I didn't even see him throw a pass because – they had like five other guys throw passes and he was, oh, he did throw one pass. Nick Evers, that's his name. But, mm -hmm. you know, he's a freshman, you know, like 18 years old. So he might be pretty good, but it's going to, it's going to take some time. And I don't know, man, Oklahoma, I was, oh, that's the other thing, dude, look at their schedule and don't it tell me, oh my God, dude, it is ridiculous. The teams they have to play left. They have, Kansas next week. They have Iowa State, Iowa State, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. All those teams score a lot of points, and Oklahoma does not. They are, but I'm leaving that out because that yeah. that's that that is probably their easiest game. I'm just saying, like the the toughest ones. You know, West Virginia is like 
it's a toss up at this point because I'm I'm not the biggest fan of West Virginia, but um, but those other guys, Iowa State is is pretty is better than West Virginia. Kansas is definitely better than West Virginia, and Baylor, man, Baylor can definitely beat you. And I, I don't know, it's that because I was looking at something people were like projecting what their losses could be on Twitter, and it was like I said like four and eight. And another guy was like three and nine and I'm, you know, ah, that's ugly, man. If they go that they're because they haven't, they haven't had like a bad season in Oklahoma since like before Rob Stoops. Yeah. It was like those like couple years in the nineties was there for like one year and then he was like fucking everybody off. Uh, yeah. There's a hilarious story behind all of it, but like he went like, three and seven and then he buggered off to FAU. Yeah, there was what is it? Um there was uh there was someone else there that was really bad and um I can't remember his name, but the, the just the nineties in general were terrible um for uh for uh uh for the Sooners, like they were, they were basically like a laughing stock, you know. Mm-hmm. And they, um, they, uh, you know, it's funny because it was like once they got better, it was like almost overnight. Because Bob Stoops comes in, and I think they either won his first year or his second year they won that championship, and then it was from then on they were just always good, and um. Yeah, because he came in in 99, but they won in 2000. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. this guy, John Blake. I remember that guy. You're right. Snellenberger was there in 95. I don't even – he went 5-5. Five and five. I don't even yeah. remember that. Like, I, I remember watching college football then, but I don't remember ever hearing anything about what was going on. Oh, it, he, I mean, that's a story for another time. The, the gist of it all is, like, he was saying, like – he it, he was just saying like oh I'm gonna be great here before he'd even started and said all the players there because they were underperforming said you guys suck and are a disgrace to Oklahoma tradition and that what I'm gonna do is gonna put um uh, uh who's who's the coach um he won like five national championships with Oklahoma Barry, Barry Switzer he said like he said like I'm gonna like blow Barry Switzer out of the water here and then he went five and five and it was like okay peace. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Barry, you know, Howard Schnellenberger was a great coach. He, you know, obviously, you know, got that national championship at Miami, but then he never really like did anything after that. Well, he did he rebuilt Louisville. He, he yeah. built up FAU. He I mean, he did okay at those spots, but he never really like had the same success that he had at Miami. He never replicated it. Um but uh, no, it, it. I guess there was another guy before that that actually did all right. The guy went like forty four and twenty three, which is not terrible. It's like okay. It's not Barry Switzer, man. Barry yeah. Switzer. He had a eighty three percent winning percentage, which is ungodly. <laughs> that is yeah. that. That's that. That's amazing. I never I'm I don't think I've ever seen that anywhere. That's even better than like Urban or um might be up there with Nick Saban basically. I mean, he didn't win as many national championships as those guys, but 
or as at least as Nick Saban, but it's still that's that's pretty damn good. And he won a Super Bowl. So mm-hmm. I mean, he never was really that great of a coach in the pros. People never thought he was that great. He just was basically there to like be the face so that they the Cowboys could win. But still, you know, he still was in charge. Okay, let's move on. Um the next game. Arkansas, Mississippi State. Speaking of Mississippi State, that was, you know, a very, like, solid ass-whooping. You know, Arkansas State, Arkansas is just reeling at this point. I mean, that's three losses where they were expected to probably go, like, 9-3, and and 10-2, and now it's, at this point, who knows where they're going to get more losses or not? I I think they're it's likely they'll get at least a loss or two more, um, which is a shame. It just sucks that um, uh, KJ Jefferson isn't out there because I know they're a much better team with him uh, running the offense. But Mayla mm-hmm. um, Cornsby did okay, had a lot of yards, even though only on eight completions, but he had two interceptions, and that's really the difference here. And you know. I'm going to say this right now, and I'm surprised it hasn't been said throughout everywhere else, but Will Rogers needs to be in consideration for the Heisman. I'm sorry, but the numbers are out there. Like he is literally the only other person with numbers as good as him is CJ Stroud. And that is it. So if he is not in that list, this, this Heisman is a fraud because right now Mississippi state only has one loss. So they're a team that potentially could get to, uh still playoff potentially if they win out and um if that's the case like he totally deserves attention i haven't heard anything anywhere like twitter there's nothing on twitter about him like i'm all the people that mention like heisman potentials no mention of will rogers which is criminal i don't know how I don't know what Mississippi State is doing. They're PR people or whatever. They probably don't even have PR people, but they need to start promoting him because he's gonna he's gonna have at least like four four thousand five hundred yards, maybe even five thousand yards passing, and that's pretty much the number. If you hit that number and like forty five plus touchdowns, like his numbers right now are on pace to be. Uh, very similar to Joe Burrow's. So, like, yeah. if that's the case, he needs to be up there. I don't get it. I like it's not fair to him at all. Like, just because he goes to Mississippi State doesn't mean he doesn't deserve to be um, considered for this. And the uh, and we'll talk more about the other Heisman candidates because I have another one that I want to bring up. But this Mississippi State team, just dude, the defense is solid. Um, you know, besides that loss to LSU, they've looked great in almost every game they've played. They scored like almost 40 points in every game. They move the ball. Um, you know, their their defense is opportunistic. They've got um, you know, playmakers all over the field. They can run the ball as well now, which that is the huge difference from years past, you know, and he's actually committing to that. You know, he had looked like he had over 30 plus carries. And, you know, they obviously threw the ball nearly 50 times, but 30 plus carries is really 35 carries is really good for a Mike Leach team. And, you know, if they can get some consistency on offense where they're able to run 150 yards, 170 yards a game, I think they can beat almost anybody. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I like like you said too, it does, you know, with uh KJ Jefferson out, you can tell the offense is just different for Arkansas. It doesn't run as smooth, but on the flip side, yes, that um Mississippi State right now is just a well old machine, just running, um, especially with the running attack now being a threat. It makes it so dynamic and dangerous. Uh there's really they're really tough to stop. Um, you can stop the running game, but Will Rogers does a good job not only being accurate, but being mobile in the pocket, moving out of the pressure, um, and sensing the pressure as well and finding the necessary receiver. He's going to have like five guys downfield. One of them's got to be open or something like that, or he'll make the smart play and run, run it out or something like that. Um, but this was a very uh, good win for Mississippi State. Um, and I agree, yes. Will Rogers, honestly, top four three quarterbacks in the nation right now yeah definitely all right let's move on tcu kansas actually real quick i I just wanted to mention because i did have it up but uh mississippi state's next couple of weeks are kentucky alabama georgia ole miss all those teams are like top 20 or higher and like Alabama, Georgia and Ole Miss are top 10. I mean, if, if they're ever going to like show that they are, they belong in the top, the top teams in the country, this is the the road that they're going to have to prove it on. And we'll see. I mean, they may go like two and two in those games. I hope they beat Georgia more than anything, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I, I love when Georgia loses. So uh, we'll see, but all right, moving on. Uh, TCU, Kansas game day was there. Um, Kansas, another sellout. Uh, the game was definitely interesting, but the reason why it was kind of like intriguing was because, uh, Jalen Daniels gets hurt. Mm -hmm. The star for Kansas, their star quarterback. And, the guy that actually came in actually did all right. Jason Bean, I'd never heard of him, but he obviously hadn't been played all year. And he threw for four touchdowns. And he kept them in the game, and it was very close. Even to the very end, they had the ball with, like, a couple minutes left or whatever to try to tie it. I mean, there's God, there were so many, like, amazing catches all over. Yeah. The, both sides just were just, like, you know, back and forth, you know, like making crazy catches, barely getting in and like getting their feet down to make scores. And it was just, it was awesome. I was, I wish I had watched more of it. Cause I was watching, I believe the Florida game was on the same time. Wasn't that the noon kick, right? The Kansas yeah. game. Yeah. So the Florida game was on. So I'm going to watch that, but I was trying to keep tabs and it was interesting. I was just like, man, it was just like back and forth. And man, um, uh, Duggan's, uh, Max Duggan for TCU, uh, just very solid, man. Like he had four total touchdowns. The guy is, the guy's very good. And dude, TCU's uh, wide receivers and running backs are fast, dude. Mm-hmm. They are speedy as hell. All of them, all of them have speed. And the one uh, wide receiver for TCU had 206 yards on 14 catches. That's a monster day right there. Yeah. And, it was they've been built on speed and just like burning the cornerbacks and safeties on that one. This for me, yeah, for this game, it, it's one of those things where I feel bad a team had to lose because they 
both teams played fantastic. They did everything they possibly could, especially for Kansas. They did everything they could um, to win the game. I believe that, again, they had over 500 yards of offense. Um, and I think they won the time of possession battle, too. Um, the difference was, I yeah. think it was, it came down to two things. TCU made the big plays, meaning like it was like third and one. They were able to convert and stay on the field. And the other thing was also, too, TCU kind of had the ball last. And I was kind of thinking watching the game, I was like, especially in the third quarter, I was like, whoever's getting the ball last might win this game. And TCU, now Kansas did have a chance to tie it, um, but there wasn't as much time. You can tell they were rushing, um, and it couldn't be said. I've noticed that with Kansas, they they don't do good in the no huddle or on tempo. They have to like go through the progression of the play, see the, you know, see what the defensive system is and then exploit it. Um, unfortunately they didn't have that luxury, but, um, TC, TCU wins this one. Um, honestly, this is up there for game of the year. Um, a lot of people have been sleeping on TCU and I don't necessarily, you know, blame them. Uh, but they have a big win, you know, I guess, doesn't look as good now with Oklahoma. Uh, they outshot uh, SMU. I know they beat SMU, and then they beat Kansas. Big test this week with Oklahoma State, who, yeah. again, I will say, in my opinion, is the best team in the Big 12. Yeah. Um, this is their chance to really prove themselves. Um, and for Kansas, it's not over yet. Um, I know they're like America's team now for college football. Um, the schedule does get tougher because um, now they have to play the Sooners. Um but there, it's not out of the question for them to make an, you know, make an impact on the season. Yeah, and you know, with um, TCU, they got a hellacious schedule, almost just like with everyone else in the Big Twelve, because everyone in the Big Twelve is now playing each other. Because and it seems like it seems like Big Twelve gets all their non-conference games out of the beginning of the year, and then the rest of the year is just straight conference games. So. TCU's got Oklahoma State, Kansas State. They do have West Virginia, but they also have Texas Tech, Texas, Baylor, and Iowa State. And, I mean, that is a gauntlet. It's just like every one of these teams. They just have these gauntlets coming up. And, you know, it's tough to say now where these teams will end up because with most of those games – especially Oklahoma state, especially the Texas game. Those are two coin flips. I don't know. I don't know who would win those games right now, Oklahoma state or TCU or Texas and TCU. So those, I have no idea of knowing, but they should beat Kansas state and they should beat Texas tech. And they more than likely should beat Iowa state. And probably the Baylor game is a coin flip as well. So that's like potentially three games they could, they could lose. Um, I don't know. I, I like this TCU team because they're very fast and the offense is exciting. Um, I'm definitely excited for this matchup coming up this week. And that'll probably dictate what will happen the rest of the year for them. Because if they can really make a statement against Oklahoma State, I mean, look out for them because right now they're undefeated. Look out for them as potential playoff team. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. 13th right now. If they beat a top 10 team, they would shoot up into the top 10. And then if they keep it going, like, I don't know how you could deny them into the playoff. I mean, they would have to probably play Oklahoma State again in the the championship game if it all 
you know, is chalk from there on out. But um, exciting because it's, you know, they were, TCU's been kind of downtrodden for the last little bit. So it's nice to see them back uh, back in the fold. Okay, let's move on. Um, Missouri, Florida, Florida wins 24-17. Uh, it was homecoming noon kickoff so anytime there's a noon kickoff it's always kind of like this lackadaisical crowd um not everyone's there at first it's just kind of whatever i really hate the noon kickoffs i don't know why like the florida uh uh schedule makers if it was the sec i don't know why they didn't just put this at the like four o'clock sec network game they should have i don't know why they did that to them but either way whatever so it is what it is um, the, the offense at times struggled in the beginning, the first half, I think they only had like, I don't know, like 60 yards or something like that. It was something yeah. minimal, but then they really took off in the second half cause they ended up with nearly 300 yards. Um, and they were moving the ball, running the ball. Like they were able to, uh, you know, Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne are beasts, both of them. They're two two of the best backs in the SEC and the country and because of their yards per carry is so high and I don't know I mean I like Naquan Wright but really what they need to be doing with Naquan Wright is they need to be throwing him the ball because he is so dangerous out of the backfield being thrown to and they did it once and and I think he missed it I thought he caught one I don't know maybe it was the game before but he's He's so effective coming out of the backfield and get like being in space. Like it's crazy. Like, I don't know why they're using the way they're using him. He's just not as effective as a runner in the zone scheme run game. He's not seeing where he needs to cut, but the other guys, Montrell and Trevor are amazing at that. Dude, they are. And Montreal is, you know, he's obviously second year in the system. So he knows it extremely well. And he is just, you know, he, he just, it's funny because as soon as he makes that cut, it is like wide open to whatever side he just cut to because it's, that's exactly how the zone scheme is meant to be where it's like, it completely like just cuts off the defense. And then it's just, there's just so much room to run. And he, you know, he had, I don't know what his long was. He had one long that was like at least like 30 yards and Trevor had a couple that were really good. And it's just, you know, when they both almost go for a hundred yards, that's really damn good. And, you know, Anthony struggled, uh, Anthony Richardson, you know, he had only 66 yards passing, but they only threw it 14 times. So like, you know, like, what are you going to get from a team if they're only throwing it 14 times? I didn't see much out of the offense that they really needed to anyways because they were moving the ball, running it. And mm-hmm. the other thing I will mention out of this specifically that I noted was the um, the two missed field goals. Now, yes. think about that. Okay, so if they make those field goals at the time that they go up um, after, what is it? Uh, they scored after Jaden Hill's interception. Um, when they go so it's up, like 13, nothing. Oh, well, yeah, they were up 13. Well, no, that was the pick six. I'm talking about the other interception, the second oh, yeah, interception. Yeah. The second interception, they ended up scoring. And um, they, uh, what is it? Then if those two field goals had went in, they would have been up 
uh, 30 to, to, what was it? 30 to 10. Now, if they're up 30 to 10, more than likely, even if they score that last touchdown at the end, it's like no big deal. But, you know, because they missed those field goals, it was a lot tighter than it should have been. And I don't know about like Mihalik. I don't know. I've heard people say Trey Smack has a better leg, which, you know, those were a 47 and like a 50 yard field goal. Maybe it's probably better to have Trey Smack kick those. I don't know. It just seems like Mihalik is not accurate from long. He's accurate from like, you know, 40 in, which, you know, that's good, but I kind of want someone that can kick it long and be accurate from that length, especially when, you know, if drive stall. Um, but also Florida had two key things in the first half was uh, uh, Xavier Henderson's uh, punt return that went for like 50 yards. And then obviously Jaden Hill, man, Jaden Hill, that is amazing. I love that he came back from that injury and had this game because he had a pick six and another interception and just monster game for him. Ventrell Miller was amazing in this game. You know, there was a lot of blown coverages, though. There yeah. was, uh, you know, third and 18s, third and 22s that got converted, and that that needs to be stopped. You know, the one thing I'll say before I give up the mantle here for let you give your piece, but um, Florida is right now currently the 99th ranked defense in the country. And that is just unacceptable at Florida. Like that is, you know, Florida, as much as it's always been known for offense has been, been usually a really good defense as well. So whatever they're doing right now needs to be fixed, needs to be corrected. And hopefully they're figuring that out. Um, I know that more um, athletes suited towards this defense will be coming in the next couple of years, but it really just needs to, I don't know. Most good coaches, they figure out what's best for their players, regardless of their weaknesses. I hope, hopefully they can figure that out and we can make a difference. But Ian, I want to hear your thoughts on this game and let me know what you're thinking. Yeah, that I, I agree that this game, you know, getting the win is good, but it was very underwhelming. The offense were just stuck in the mud. Most of the game, um, and it was both the the play calling was very poor the first of the ha- first half. They were starting to get it together, and again, it looked like Richardson didn't want to run. He ran, which is ironic because when he did run, he got like a twenty yard gain. But he, it, it just looked like he was just and almost scored that it. touchdown on a fourth down. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just thinking again. I'm just like screaming, just tell you know if I'm. You know, Napier or anybody, I'm just telling him, look, fine. Your first guy's not there. Maybe look for the second guy. If not, take off and run. Because you could see the C's open. It's easier to get like 10 yards with you running than passing into the triple coverage, uh, which he did on the, where we almost threw the game away. I'll get into that. But I agree too that the defense, it came up big. And, you know, they mentioned that this was bend, don't break. But I was like, man, that was seriously bending because they gave up like a third and 22 and then a third and 18. It was similar to like what happened with USF. Like USF would be like third and 14 and then a draw play and they would convert. I was like, you can't, you just cannot do that. Um, But they came up big with getting the interceptions, especially from Jaden Hill. 
Um, Jane Hill, easily best defensive player. Him and Cox and Ventrell Miller uh, did a really good job. But obviously, it, it's a good one. But especially late in the game, I would like it was third and fourteen. I tell you what, it happened. They probably took their foot off the gas. I was texting my cousin. It was like, hey, Gators went up twenty-four to ten. Um, and I was like, how much time's left? And he said, 11 minutes. I was like, not over. Nowhere close is this being over. That is the most dangerous lead. A two score lead is the most dangerous. Um, and yeah, <laughs> Missouri goes down the field, scores a touchdown and it's a seven point game. And it's like third and 14 with, I think there was like three minutes left. I'm thinking, okay, at least let them burn a timeout. And then yeah. pin them deep. So just run the ball, maybe have AR run a little draw play, something like that. Or maybe if you're going to pass it, like I always say, find your first guy, find the big, find the first down play. If it's not there, try to run for the first down. AR sat there and sat there and sat there and somehow threw it into triple coverage. And as soon as he threw that ball, I was like, oh, God. Yep. It yeah, was but, intercepted. And- but but Persall... He hit his hands. It was just a little bit high. If it was a little bit lower, I think Persall makes that catch. It was, I don't know, that that last drive was, I wish it had been done different. But at the same time, there was a, there was another play before that where it looked like um, it was uh, an option play where he could uh, stick it to the running back or keep it himself. And when he, because uh, I was watching the breakdown by Gator uh, Gator Nation Football Podcast, and they were saying if he had kept it, and he even had his body language after he went through the motion of like keep going, he like jumped around knowing that like he could have had a huge yard, a huge yardage gain there, and it's like I don't know. They made some mistakes there on that last drive. It could have been was- better. What? It was bad on both sides because I'm yeah. thinking, why are you throwing the ball? And why did he? I mean, again, I, I, yes, I can get on Richardson for throwing the ball. But again, why did you just call? Why are you calling a passing play when it's three minutes left in the game? It, it, I just, I don't know. That It's kind of a bit troubling in that, especially, you know, they called a timeout, which gave Missouri time to tie the game at the end of the half. Um, yeah. All again. It was an ugly win, but a win is a win. Uh, yeah, still plenty of stuff to work on. Um, and I'll give and I will give Missouri credit. They definitely did not, you know, they came for a fight. And again, I think they kind of, I'm assuming Florida underestimated them, but Missouri was not, you know, I said it was a trap game. I predicted actually Missouri to win. Um, I didn't want them. Um, and I'm glad I'm wrong, but it was, you know, an ugly win, but you got to take it and you got to improve because um, we're at the midpoint of the season. There has to be improvements made. So something like this does not happen again. Well, yeah, like you said, you know, a win is a win. And, you know, they hadn't won an SEC game since the Vanderbilt game last year. And that was like, yeah, and that was, I mean, I think that's like almost seven game, seven SEC games since that. So like, that's a long time. And it's also, you know, Billy Napier's first SEC win. So he's got that now. And, you know, it's 
this year, just a lot of people have to take a deep breath with this year. Like there's a lot of learning with everything. Like everyone is learning the offense new, the defense is learning the, the defense, you know, the Todd Grantham really did a number on these players that are still here. And I really feel bad for those guys because a lot of them have talent. It's just, they learned a lot of terrible things that they shouldn't have been forced to do, but that guy was the the defensive coordinator for like four years, just giving them bad information and bad uh, football tactics. So, but now they're learning for someone that knows what he's doing and it's not working correctly right now, but I have faith that it will work in the future. And um, you know, there are signs that it is working. Like even on that third and 22, um, Perkins is coming down on the receiver and he should be uh, holding the outside. So forcing him back in, but he did not play it correctly. So the guy ends up taking the outside and getting the edge and getting away from that guy. And so it's harder for uh, the contain to keep him, uh, you know, you know, to, to tackle him. So he just breaks through and gets the first down. Now, that's not on the coaching that's on the players. Like he needs to make the play to force him inside. And if the coaches are putting the guys in position and they're not making the play, that's just, it's the player's fault. It's plain and simple. Um, okay. Anything else you want to talk about from this game? Um, be better on all sides. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, well, they have LSU coming up next week, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But so, interesting game here. I just really like this Purdue team. So, Purdue playing Maryland. Uh, Purdue wins 31-29. You know, this team is good, Purdue. And, you know, they can move the ball. And this was a close game. It was back and forth. I think Maryland had a chance to tie it at the end with a two-point conversion, and they yep. missed um, so just an interesting game all around. Um, you know, uh, I have here in my notes, tight end needs to go down earlier. I can't remember where, oh, that's what it was. So they, 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 they caught the ball. They were up by like, I think like one or two at that point. And the tight end catches the ball, like at like the forty. And if he just goes down, like if he goes up a little bit and then just gets a few yards and then goes down, the game's over. Like Maryland doesn't get a chance to try to tie it. Instead, he keeps going and he forces it into a first and goal situation. So now you cannot get any more first downs unless you score. So he forces them into only four more plays. Instead, if he goes down before that, they will have – X amount of plays. So it depends on how, where there are. So if they go, if he goes down at the 30, they can run out the clock essentially from there. So I was like, damn, man, he should have just went down. I know he's probably not thinking that it's just in your mindset to always go forward in football, but it's sometimes you got to think about like game situation and maybe like the way they drew that play up, they knew he was going to be wide open. Cause that was, it looked like it was the only look that the quarterback had was straight to that tight end. If they knew that for sure, and they knew that they were going to get that open look, they should have told that tight end, like, hey, go down when you catch this. Someone needs to be on that because it's like you don't want 
to give Maryland the chance to try to tie it, which they did. They tied or they had the chance. You know, they scored the touchdown and then had the two-point conversion to tie, but they didn't get it. They got lucky. Um, but uh, you know, easily they could have lost that game. Okay. Yeah. Um anything from this that stands out to you? Uh, just, you know, the Purdue offense came up big. They were able to overcome. They gave up, I, you know, they had their three turnovers, I know. Um, but they were able to put on the pressure, not let force Maryland to come back was what they did. Is that when, once they got the ball back um, with, like, I think they got it, with, like, less than two minutes uh, left. Yeah. You know, they went for the touchdown. It was 31-23, making it much more difficult uh, for Maryland. Okay, moving on. Um, <clears throat> so the surprise, because almost the huge upset of the day, USF loses to Cincinnati 24-28. They had a lead into the fourth quarter. Um, they looked they looked a lot better. Uh, freaking Weaver, the wide receiver for um, uh, USF, is awesome. Uh, Xavier Weaver, he's mm-hmm. two touchdowns, 112 yards. Uh, Jimmy Horn Jr. kind of disappeared that game, but, you know, they didn't really need him as much. Uh, Gary Bohannon went off for 117 yards on the ground. He had two TDs passing. And Brian Batie, man, he's like, I think I saw he is eighth in the country in um, yards from scrimmage and just – Another phenomenal game, 82 yards and a touchdown. The the key from this game that a lot of USF fans, because I didn't get to watch the game because I don't have ESPN Plus. I don't know if you got to watch it. Um, but, yeah, I got uh, to see some of it, yeah. Yeah, but uh, the key from this game was that fourth down play, fourth and one. And um, it was looked like it was a counter, um, at least like a trap. I don't know if it was a counter, but definitely a trap because they pulled two linemen and they cleared so much space, and yet Bohannon didn't take off because he easily would have gotten the first down if he had just followed his blockers. But he decides on the RPO to throw it to Batie, and it, it was just there was nowhere to go. It was like I don't know why he did it. Um, I I don't know. It's frustrating that they that was the game because there's still a few minutes after that. They just couldn't get the ball back. But um, I'm glad that they were competitive in this. And that means now they've played two um, decent teams in Cincinnati and Florida and have played tough against them. And they were both on the road. Um, you know, they've looked bad against LSU and BYU and Eastern East Carolina. But there's two games that they've played well and have been close in with a chance to win. So I think going forward, I like what I see. The one thing that I mentioned the other day on Twitter that I think holds true is a lot of teams will have really easy non-conference schedules. A lot of teams. It's not just, you know, a few teams. It's a lot of teams have easy non-conference. Well, USF did not this year. You know, they had BYU, Louisville, and Florida. Those are really good teams every year. And so, you know, there's a chance that they could lose to those teams regardless of how well USF is. So they got smoked by all three except for the Florida one and then had one easy one against Howard. But if they had easy ones where they're Howard, 
Georgia Southern, I don't know, just some terrible teams, Charleston Southern or like some, you know, West Carolina or whatever, just teams that they could easily beat. You know, they go right now, they would be four and two. So like think about the difference between that where Jeff Scott would be as four and two as compared to now where they're one and five, where it's like, oh, the sky is falling. They need to fire this guy. And most, a lot of USF fans are definitely making their voice be heard with that because I don't blame them for being upset. It doesn't look good. And it's, uh, you know, they just need to be competitive. And in this game, they were. And I think that's what a lot of people probably appreciate. There was less noise in the system the last couple of days that I've seen. Um, We're actually recording this on Tuesday. Um, But, you know, this – it seems like it's trending in the right direction. They have some games that they can win. I think if he can win like at least three games the rest of the year, he will get a fourth year. And then I'm almost positive USF schedule next year is a lot easier. Um, because I don't think they have a lot of those big time games uh, let me see. I'm looking it up now. So next year, they have Western Kentucky, Florida A&M, <laughs> UConn, and then guess what game they have at home next yeah. year? You just guess. Their last game at home? No, it's it's okay. Non conference schedule, and they have a they home play game. Bama. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're gonna get smoked for that. Ah, man. That'll be interesting. Oh, my God. Alabama at home. God, I feel bad for those people that go to that game. That's going to be a massacre. I'm surprised they even got a one-and-one with Bama. That's amazing. Uh, Okay, but regardless, that's three somewhat easier non-conference games next year that they could win where they go three-and-one out of that that looks a lot better than one and three, right? You know what I'm saying? So it's like sometimes it matters with the schedule and it helps the perception of what, especially building what they're trying to do now. I don't know. I think recruiting-wise, they're struggling with some stuff that they need to get on board with. They've been relying on a lot of transfers, which can help, but sometimes you know, relying too much on transfers is not going to be the best bet. But what did you see in this game, Ian? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it – it's really, I wouldn't say it's disappointing. It is encouraging to see them play well, but you can kind of tell they were playing over their heads. Um, it was just a matter, of, I, I was just saying, like, please, Cincinnati, just keep screwing up uh, because that's what Cincinnati was doing. Now, USF played a fantastic game. Uh, next to probably the Florida game, ironically, their two best games are losses, which is sad, but this was probably their best game of the year. But I felt this was very, very similar to how Missouri played Georgia last week. They were doing everything they possibly could to just hang on, just hang on a little bit longer. Um, the difference is there's a difference between hanging on and going for the win. And I agree the when Bohannon missed that um, RPO play, I could kind of, you know, you could sense the wind changing there. There was just so much, you know, there's only so much USF could have done they did everything they possibly could have. Uh, but in the end, since he found a way to win, I think that was the difference. Cincinnati found a way to overcome this. Um, for USF, it is encouraging. They have to, you know, keep this, you know, momentum going. Um, 
they I know they play Tulane next week or, or this week. Um, so there are signs of you know encouragement. The offense needs to be you know more more crisp, and the play calling needs to be better. There needs to be smarter play calls at that time, and it does need to be also more aggressive, if that makes sense. Um, but again, it's at least a step in the right direction. But you know, it'd be better if it was a W instead of an L on the schedule. Yeah, um, I just, I, I'm just at a point now where I just want Ws, like you said. I just want. I want them to go at least every year minimum go like seven and five. You know, I don't understand why they're losing so many games. They're, you know, a school in a a hotbed of recruiting. The Tampa Bay area has a ton of talent. They just need to get some of that. They don't have to get all of that. They just need to get some of that talent. And it just seems like they're not really doing it. So I don't know. I, I hope it gets fixed. I really want to see this team do well. You know, I'm obviously an alumni and I work there, so I, I want to see them do well. Uh, so let's move on. Auburn, Georgia. Georgia wins 42 to 10. I don't have much to say on this one just because it was an ass whooping. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Deep South sold its ass kicking is what it was. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a shame. You know, it's funny. It's like, you think about it. Okay. When Florida State went on their run, Florida was at their, like, weakest. And then Miami was weak as well. And then when Georgia has gone on their run, two of their three top uh, rivals, Georgia Tech and Auburn, are nowhere. So those are, you know, two automatic wins that they used to have to, like, fight to be good with. And – it's not like in years past where it's like, oh, it's just, you know, yeah, they beat them, but they still played well against other teams. No, these teams are bad. Like Georgia Tech yeah. and Auburn are bad. They're not good. And um, it's, uh, I don't know, it's it's kind of fortunate for Georgia. It's not just that they are good, but it's also they're having good fortune here. And then even then last year, you know, Dan Mullen, Dan Mullen checks out. And so then Georgia in the one year that they get a national championship is the year that Dan Mullen checks out. Auburn goes six and six and Georgia tech has been terrible. So three of their biggest rivals are a collective, uh, like 12 or like 15 and like, uh, eight, 15 and like, what is it? 15, 15 and like 21. I, you know, it, Sometimes you have to be lucky to win these things. And that's just their good fortune is the fact that the teams that they match up against every year are struggling immensely. So um, I don't know. Until Auburn can get correct the ship, until Georgia Tech can correct the ship, Georgia's going to have an easy path to the championship. And I don't see it being any different. Uh, You know, it's just. It is what it is at this point. Let's move on. I just don't think Georgia is as good as they were last year. Um, you know, I I don't know. It's just my opinion. Their running attack was good on Saturday, but George, Auburn sucks. So I don't know how much you can take from Saturday. But uh, here's a good game, though. Texas Tech, Oklahoma State. This was a very exciting game. Very, like, back and forth, you know, uh, 
it wasn't until late in the fourth quarter that Oklahoma uh, State took a 10-point lead. Um, but, you know, Texas Tech is very good. Their quarterback, uh, Morton, uh, 379 yards, a uh, huge day for him. Um, Spencer Sanders, another great game, uh, had three touchdowns, like th- over 350 yards total. Like just – it's good football. Like I, I know people are always like, oh, there's too much offense in the Big 12 and not enough defense. I don't know. I mean – Oklahoma State had a really good defense last year because of that coordinator, and he's now at Ohio State and doing extremely well there. But they're a competent team, Oklahoma State. They've got a really good offense, and their defense is okay enough this year. So as long as they can make enough stops, they can probably win enough games. But I would say this is probably – not a good sign if they're playing really close to Texas Tech, even though I do like Texas Tech. Um, the rest of it's, those teams, the rest of those games are probably going to be close. Yeah, and Tech had and Tech was Tech had it. <laughs> oh, yeah, they, for sure. They were they right were there. 31 23 in the uh third quarter, but um Oklahoma State was able to come back. Um, they converted a huge two-point conversion. Um, but I agree, it's for Oklahoma State, you know. This, you know, they were pretty much outplayed most of the game. Um, it wasn't until, you know, later half. I think there were techs just kind of got worn down, um, which is very fortunate for Oklahoma State. But again, it's what I always say in games is that you cannot expect that for every game. And I know the schedule upcoming for Oklahoma State is a lot tougher. So you cannot, you know, just go into a game expecting teams to lie down. You are going to have to fight for wins now on that side it is good to see that Oklahoma State was willing to you know stick it out fight it out and be able to win these games late which is necessary for uh championship teams um but you know it was not as you know offensively sound of a game um again Spencer Sanders he didn't have never want to say they have bad games um but you could tell the offense relied on probably more than it should have Oklahoma State does best when it's a two-headed monster with the rushing attack, um, especially with Spencer Sanders being mobile as he is. But this game, it was all like, you got to win the game for us. And that works sometimes. Like I always say, can't count on that every time. Yeah. Um, I, you know, w- we've talked about this, you know, the Big 12 gauntlet. Seems like every one of these teams coming up has – you know, several top 25 matchups, you know, Oklahoma state is no different. TCU, Texas, Oklahoma, uh, Kansas state, Kansas, Iowa state, Oklahoma. I mean, just a murder's row, like kind of ridiculous. I'm the next two weeks. I really want to see Oklahoma state TCU. And then against Texas, uh, those two games right there, those might be honestly, I'll say it right now, those might be the best two games of the entire year, what it's playing out to be. Because those three teams are really solid. And I feel bad for Texas because if Quinn Ewers plays in earlier in the year and doesn't get hurt against Alabama, they don't lose that other game. And um, 
Let me see who they else lost to. They lost to, yeah, they would have beaten Texas Tech. And if they only had one loss to Alabama, I mean, that's a potential playoff team, you know? So um, I'm definitely intrigued about the, the next two weeks for Big 12, and I'm excited too. So let's move on. Um, this was the big game of the day. This was the most exciting game. Like, I love this game. Like, I, I've, been, I've been telling you, Ian, since last year, I've yeah. been huge on UCLA. And it's been paying off because they're getting better and better. Every week, they seem to get better. And I know they struggle against South Alabama. I understand it didn't look great. Whatever. I don't know if like South Alabama has some kind of offense that I'm not, I'm not aware of or whatever on like, just, they have, you know, six, six year seniors that are just amazing that like no one knows about, you know, type thing. But regardless, this UCLA team is dangerous on offense. And I'm going to say it right now. I said it with Will Rogers and I'm saying it with DTR. DTR needs to be in the Heisman race, plain and simple. There's no other reason to not have him. He needs to be there because he is so effective uh, running the offense. He had five touchdowns total, uh, nearly 300 yards passing. He did have a pick, which was not good, but just an amazing day for him. Zach Charbonneau, nearly 200 yards running, uh, a touchdown as well. He had a nine-yard average. For 22 carries, that's insane. That's huge. Um, Jake Bobo had two TDs. Um, just and really the play of the game. And I, I did this article that no one looked at. I tried promoting it and like no one looked at it. And I was kind of embarrassed. I was like, oh man, no one looked at this one. But I did a preview article for the game. And like I got like at least 50 people to look at that, which I thought was pretty good considering I don't have any UCLA followers on my Twitter feed. And so like to be able to get 50 people just by going on different uh, tweets and like tweeting out what the article was, I think that was pretty good. But um, uh, Logan Loya, I don't know if you saw that play. It was like just a simple in route and that guy was gone, man. And that was the difference because at that point it was a three point game. Utah was like, had just scored and it seemed like if they get a stop there, that potentially they can get back in the game and boom, he is just off to the races. And that was it because then the next time Utah got the ball, they turned it over on that fourth down uh, when they fumbled and then UCLA returned it to like the five yard or the, like the one yard line and they scored right after. So it was like basically it. And I think more so the, the in route scoring for the touchdown was more of a dagger than anything because it kind of, you know, at that point, you're down two scores with not much time left. It was pretty much all she wrote. But um, I'm excited for UCLA. I'm excited for the city of Los Angeles to get excited about college football again, because not only is UCLA good and undefeated, but also USC is as well. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But just just huge for the L.A. market, just huge for college football. With the L.A. market being excited about football again, about college football, it it is it is immense how much 
like that will make a difference in like ratings. Like if they get started interested in college football again, you'll see them watching other games of like, oh, well, if this game affects my game, I need to be watching this, you know, type thing. And I, it's just good for the entire country because, you know, it hasn't really been a big deal for a long time for both of these schools at the same time. And now we're seeing it and I'm excited about that. Yeah. And I, uh, I agree with that, especially um, UCLA came out the offense. This is probably their best offensive game of the year. Um, It's what I say when you have two, when you're dangerous from both passing and rushing, it's unstoppable. And again, you saw it with that. Utah didn't know how to stop, UCLA's offense because it was either, you know, Rob Thomas Robinson was going to be, you know, throwing it or it would be like those draw plays, which were very effective with Charbonneau. Charbonneau was just chewing up yards. They could just feed him, feed him, and go to a play action pass, which burned Utah a lot, and then, you know, make the big play. Um, and if they need DTR, could use his legs. Um, for Utah, it's, you know, I do think they played well, ironically. I know the score doesn't show it. But they did not play nearly well enough as you need to be when UCLA just came out firing. Um, UCLA was going to win this game if it was behind a brick wall is what it looked like. They were so determined and motivated to win. Easily the best win UCLA has had in a a couple years. Um, And now they have to keep it going, keep performances like this going, and keep that two-headed attack as dangerous as possible. Yeah, I mean... Because, you know, they thought Utah was going to be a playoff team, potentially. Even with that loss to Florida, no one had counted them out. And, you know, definitely as the Pac-12 favorite. And now it's UCLA as a Pac- the Pac-12 favorite. And and so is USC. So it's both of those teams. And it's just – it's crazy how one game completely changes the entire narrative for the rest of the year. And this game could be it. This could be the, the difference maker. So let's move on. Um this was an ass whooping as well. The only thing that stands out for me is Ohio State beating Michigan State 49-20 is CJ Stroud with six TDs. That's all I really want to care about. You got anything from that? Uh I yeah, same thing. He had six touchdowns and I his accuracy rating was he had 21 out of I think 27, which is very impressive. Almost yeah. 400 yards, other great game add to the Heiser resume for CJ Stroud. Yeah, he had one pick, but uh five incompletions. And so he had more touchdowns than incompletions. Yeah. <laughs> I will say last thing from this is uh, Michigan State is probably regretting giving Mel Tucker that much money. But, hey, man, when you only win 10 games, I don't know what you're doing. But, hey, this is what yeah. they did. And they, they they thought they had something. But maybe they don't have something. So moving on, speaking of USC, Washington State, USC, uh, USC wins 30 to 14. Uh, man, I, I love Travis die. I don't know what it is about this kid. There's something about him that he is just a hard nose baller. The kid is just, he's, he's not very big. He's only like five, nine and like maybe 200 pounds, maybe like 190. but he is sturdy. He takes a hit. He just keeps going. He's smart. He's like, this kid, he doesn't even wear gloves or tape or anything or no pads, like nothing on his arms. Like he's completely old school. Like he's just a badass. And he's got like a a ratty mustache too, which is yeah. funny. <laughs> he's just, he's a different cat. And I'm, I liked him at Oregon and I really love that he's at USC because 
I don't know what Oregon's going to end up doing the rest of the year, but I'd like him on a team that potentially could be a playoff team. And I think USC's got a better chance than Oregon. And Caleb Williams was solid, not great. Um, that Washington State team is good. I'm, you know, I'm definitely not uh, discounting them. They're definitely a solid team. And um, I know other guys were talking about Cam Ward being a great quarterback. What what have you seen of Cam Ward that you know of? I didn't know too much about him coming into the game, but I saw a lot of people talking about him beforehand. Is there anything that stands out from you about Cam Ward? Do you know anything about him? When Cam Ward, you know, it's it's mostly that he's uh, the reason he, he gets a lot of um, hype is that he is able to make the big play when he can. Um, once he has time in the pocket and can find the play, he's very similar to Richardson, um, where he can, you know, once he sees the clearing, he can take a um, take off and uh, run if he has to. Um, the thing is, though, is that they've kind of been locking him down a bit and trying to tell him focus more on the passing, uh, which I think is good. Um, I think he is better as a pastor than he is a runner, um, but he's necessary to uh, make uh, the play when he needs to. I know he made like some crazy foot play when he was falling back uh, um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but for him, he's finding, he's still trying to find his uh, way. He's, you know, very, I think this is his, because I guess they count the COVID year. Uh, this is his, um, third year total i know he had like over almost 50 touchdowns last year um so very uh dangerous and i think it's he plays well into that kind of air raid style offense that uh washington state has yeah um anything else from this game that stands out to you um just you know i i agree that you know die you know had to come up big kind of shows if somebody on uh usc isn't having the game um, you expect from them that there's somebody else to do it. Ty definitely, you know, had a fantastic game. Um, and they were able to pull away there because Washington State wasn't going away. It was, I think, 17, 14 and a half. But they were able to get, you know, the uh, plays when needed. Not the best look, but it is, you know, they got the necessary uh, scores when they needed them. The um, The thing I worry about for them is Jordan Addison went down with an injury. Um, but, um, the guy that came up, uh, in his absence was Mario Williams, who had a lot of really good catches. And, um, I don't know. I think, I think this team, I don't know if they're, if they're better than UCLA, because I think like UCLA has been in their system for a long time. So those guys are like, got it down pat. So I would I don't know if they're going to get to a both of them undefeated matchup by the end, but we'll see. Either way, it would be amazing if that is to happen. That would be huge for L.A. football to have both of those teams undefeated near the end of the year. So let's move on. Um, we're going to go through a couple of these really quick. Uh, BYU, Notre Dame. Notre Dame hangs on 28-20. Anything from here that stands out? Uh, Notre Dame meaning that went bad. That Obviously, the best win so far of the year. Um, and for BYU, they've got to regroup. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame killed them yardage-wise, 496 to 276. So I was kind of surprised. I thought BYU was going to move the ball better. But um, Notre Dame was in control and then kind of, like, let them get back into it. And then BYU had a chance to really 
tie it at the end, but they didn't. Uh, all right, moving on. Army Wake Forest. The only reason I put this one on here is, is I want to keep tabs of Wake Forest because of they only have one loss, and their one loss was a very close overtime loss to Clemson. So I want to keep tabs of this team because if Wake Forest is to win out and say Clemson by chance either loses a game or loses the ACC championship, Wake Forest potentially could be a playoff team. Mm -hmm. So there is that possibility. And um, I really love Sam Hartman. I mean, how can you not love this kid? This kid is amazing. He only threw 19 passes and he still had 246 yards. He only had one TD, but they were running the ball very effectively. They they were running all over Army. Um, but uh, Army, you know, did what they did. But it was just mainly they were getting beat so bad that Wake had their backups in by, like, the end of the third. Um, it was a blowout. But I'm going to move on. Uh, Kansas State, Iowa State, what are your opinions of this game? Because it just was a 10-9 to 9 game that Kansas State holds on. I'm, I'm telling you the – Iowa State is a Big Ten team in disguise. Yeah. Um, because this was a Big Ten game where it was just the defenses were stuck in the mud. And oh, yeah. I kind of knew that going in. Kansas State, you know, Adrian Martinez, I I think I made the prediction he would come back down to earth, and he kind of did. Um, definitely didn't pass as much, but they kind of just relied all on him on the offense, which I don't know how well that's going to do. Um, definitely a, a very messy and ugly game. For Kansas State, they're five and one and still undefeated in conference play now. So I think Crazy. that's something to keep an eye on. For sure. That's definitely a team that is intriguing and you know they can move the ball, you know. And he and Adrian Martinez has shown that he can throw the ball uh when needed to and do it effectively. Okay, moving on. This would have been the biggest game of the year from the backstory of what happened uh, between Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban during the offseason. But because AM has faltered of late, it was kind of zero hype for this game. And But AM came back and almost won it. They had the game, uh, they had the ball with like three seconds left on their like two-yard line. And they had the chance to win it, and they called some stupid play that was short of the end zone and out of bounds. And like it was one of those comeback, uh, you know, back to yeah, play. it was a comeback to Evan Stewart's. And you know, Haynes King, have you seen his windup? It's very. I was gonna say, Dude, it, I, I kind of want to take the mic on this one because yeah, go ahead. For this game, I was actually starting to turn the corner on Jimbo Fisher. I was like, because I was saying like, okay, it's clear he doesn't have this year in that. But I was thinking he's going to get blown out because you've been pissing off Alabama and Nick Saban. But they're hanging on. They're making plays. They're making stops. They're getting turnovers, and they're capitalizing on those turnovers. Alabama. I was, I was literally saying, this is the best coached game A and M has had. Not played, coached game A and M had. And then they had the. Back shoulder play, which works when you have, I think, like a Bryce Young or a Hendon Hooker or a Sam Hartman, those kind of like rocket arm guys. But for Haynes King, it's he's no offense to him, but that's not the right play to call. This is where I jumped the shark with him. 
He says after the game, he makes the excuse is what he did. He learns this from Nick Saban as well. Uh, we had a backup quarterback in. So we, and I was like, no, he didn't. This was your starter. This yeah. was your starter at the preseason. Exactly. And he now he's like, we had a back. Your excuse is, well, he was a backup. So was Bama's. And honestly, Alabama Milrow, he did very good. Um, very mo. I agree with uh, what you texted me. He was very athletic, but erratic. He's got to, yeah. needs to learn how to run the offense. I think he's just trying to make the play instead of just finding the play, which is a whole different thing. But I was, was just like, I was like, oh, Jimbo, you were so close for me to actually think like, yes, okay, you're not a hack. And then you do that. (laughs) You call a terrible play, say it's a backup quarterback when it's not a – you called him the starter at the beginning of the year. I I don't know. It's just very frustrating, you know, just as a college football fan because I don't want to, like, dislike people. But, like, for Jimbo Fisher doing that, it's hard for me not to. You know, I agree with all that. And um, Milrow, dude, watching that recap of that game, holy hell, he had like at least four or five balls that should have been intercepted besides the one that was. He is not a good passer as of right now. Um, He had other ones that looked clean, but most of of the ones that that turned into touchdowns were wide open receivers that – you know, like he didn't really do much on. He just basically fed them in space and the receivers took it the rest of the way. I'm pretty sure their yards after catch or like their yak are like very high um, from that game. I, I'm not sure. I don't have it in front of me, so I don't know for sure. But just watching the highlights, it looked like it. Um, but he had a really good game. You know, yeah, Milro had 83 yards on the ground as well, which that's why he's as effective as he is, is because he can run the ball when called upon. And, dude, Jameer Gibbs, holy shit, this kid is so good, dude. I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of unfair that they got the best transfer portal running back who was, you know, ready day one to be a complete stud, but that's just what, you know, happens when you're Alabama. You're going to get those guys. So Alabama just went off, you know, uh, Jameer Gibbs went off and, you know, they're, we'll talk about coming up because it's obviously a huge game, but uh, it really depends on the health of Bryce Young. And we'll talk about that more. I don't want to get into it right now. Let's move on because this was, should have been a great game, but it just was kind of disappointing in the high, lack of the buildup to it. But it, it turned out to be a good game because obviously what you said uh, you know, uh, Jimbo coached well and had them in it, and they probably should have won there at the end, but he didn't didn't pull didn't call the right play there. But uh, let's move on. So I just got to laugh. I mean, they were up seventeen three, and they still end up losing. Like man, I do. I, I was saying because <laughs> I'm not like again as a Gator fan. I don't like Florida State, but I was uh. like. There you like they went up fourteen to three. And it was like seventeen to three. Seventeen to three. But they scored a touchdown with like forty eight seconds left in the half. Yeah. And I saw that that update. And I was like, okay, Florida State, you know, get the tra- traction going. You go in a rally. You you're up by two scores against NC State. Then they go up seventeen to three, which is that's a th- you know that's still a two possession game. But I'm thinking you're up seventeen to three. 
in coming into the half. Dude, you just keep doing what you're doing. Just don't make, you know, make the smart plays. And they just couldn't. Like, I, they lost 19 to 17, and NC State played horrible. They did not play good. Neither team really played well. And that, but I remember just saying again, another thing I take with my cousin. I said, literally, all Florida State, if they kick a field goal, just like a field goal in the second half, they win. Yeah. And they couldn't do that for 30 minutes. They could not muster one point. That's not good. And that I understand NC State talent wise, yes, they are better. But for Florida State, you're up 17 to three at half and you come out and lay an egg. Yeah, NC State's going to come back. You just can't just sleep on leads like that. I think that's a very big learning thing that this team's going to have to, you know, go through because that just shouldn't have happened. And I, all you need to do is at least, you know, I always say keep your foot on the gas. You never know what teams, you know, have the capability of coming back. And they should have known NC State is not a team that just rolls over and dies. And yet the play going was anemic. Um, they were never able to get down the field. The defense played as good as they could, but I felt like they were playing not to lose instead of to win. Well, I will say this. There's a couple of things that I have takeaways from this game. That first half lead that Florida State got was largely to do with a long run from Travis and a uh, punt return that they like pulled some trickery and the, the whole NC State fell for, and they were able to get in a uh, field goal range to get that field goal at the end. But besides that, I didn't really think Florida State was that good on offense. And I thought NC State's defense played well enough to win, and they were holding them in check and making plays to stop them, which I think that was the difference because they were playing so well in the second half. And, you know, regardless of what happened in the first half, that they kept them in check to only have them at 17 points. And then also I knew that if uh, NC State were to score a touchdown in um, uh, in the beginning of that uh, the second half, right after halftime, I knew that they would be in the game and they'd have a chance to win. And they did. And they scored that touchdown. And what was really kind of uh, seemed like it might put the game in peril for them for NC state was the fact that Leary went down. And when yeah. he went down, I was like, Oh no, this game's over. But dude, NC state credit to them. The, the, the backup comes in, never played a game. He was an FCS transfer and, you know, he, he only threw one pass and it actually, I think it was, um, I think it was two passes. Cause I think one was an incompletion. And then one was like a, was a pass interference. I think I'm not exactly sure. I can't remember, but, um, but either way he threw only like one pass and um, NC state uh, was able to run the ball effectively. You know, they ran it for 182 yards and they were in position to kick field goals. And that kicker for them done is an amazing kicker. He had like several very long field goals and drilled them. And then, you know, uh, the, the thing that we haven't talked about yet is that last play call. Well, you did talk about it a little bit, but that last play call. Yeah. I don't fault them for that because their kicker has had problems all year, Fitzgerald. So if he has a problem making even short field goals, then 
you know, you want to try to win the game without relying on him, which I don't blame them for that. So they were trying to win the game without having to rely on him. It was still going to be like a 35, 37-yard field goal, which, you know, is not a gimme per se, and um, especially in college. But it was just a bad throw. Like, you know, if you're going to throw that, throw that to the exact edge of the boundary so that only really the receiver makes the, the, the catch or the, the DB just can really only really like catch it out of bounds type thing. Either way, it was a bad throw, bad read. The whole thing was terrible and I couldn't be happier as a Florida state hater. So, you know, you know, those Florida state fans were so happy being four. No, Oh man, they were sky high. They were like, oh, Florida State's so much better than the rest of these schools in the in the state. Well, you know what? You got your schedule in front of you, and now you're getting your uh you're getting your just desserts. And you know what? And it's not gonna stop because they got Clemson this week. They have Miami after that, after Georgia Tech, and then Syracuse, Louisiana, and Florida. There is at least two losses, at least probably three. So at least three losses, potentially even four or five losses. So they're going to go from a four and O team to potentially a five and seven team. So good for you, you freaking losers. So, all right. So that is the recap of week six. We're now going to move on to our Heisman standings. Uh, Ian, tell me who you've got in your Heisman list. Uh uh, I have uh, Charbonneau, UCLA, uh, Blake Corum, Michigan running back, Hendon Hooker, Will Rogers, and, of course, Bryce Dunn and C.J. Stroud. Okay, so Charbonneau and Corum. Okay, who are uh, – so for my Heisman right now, I have DTR, Will Anderson, Hendon Hooker, Will Rogers, and C.J. Stroud. Okay, playoff team. I'm going to go with Ohio State, number one. I just think they're the best team uh, all around. Alabama, number two, just because if Bryce Young is in there, I think they're the second best team. I've got Georgia there, but I think other teams are probably better. USC, number four, just because of their path to the playoff. But now with UCLA playing so well, I'm – I've got UCLA in the area as well, but I'm just going to say USC for now. Um, and then fifth, I got Oklahoma State because I really like them. And Tennessee, just because they're playing so well right now, they'll probably be much further uh, down after this next couple of weeks. But who's your playoff teams, Ian? Yeah, mine are you know pretty much the same, just shaking up. I have Ohio State at number one, Clemson at number two, Georgia at three, Bama at four right now. Tennessee at five and Oklahoma State at six. Okay. Okay. So we're going to have the week eight look ahead here. Um, You know, I'm excited about all these matchups because there's, there is several that are really good. And um, I think there's like five top 25 matchups in, in this week. Um, but the first game we have is Baylor, West Virginia. Ian, who do you like in Baylor, West Virginia? Um, I'm going to take the Bears in this one. West Virginia, 
they've been struggling and Baylor's, you know, two losses have been to, uh, you know, number, you know, Oklahoma state best team in the big 12 and they fought and then a double overtime against BYU. West Virginia, it's not the same as, as well. Um, so I'm going to take uh, Baylor. I'll go 30, 30 to 20. <laughs> That's exactly what I have. I have, 30, well, not 20. exactly. I have 31, 20, but very, very close. I, I just like this Baylor team. They're a very solid team. Um, you know, those two losses really hurt, but, you know, they still have a lot to play for because they could potentially get into, um, uh, they could still get into the Big 12 championship because they only have one conference loss. And also they can get into a big bowl game, which is, you know, a big deal for recruiting. So um, I like Baylor as well. Okay. Penn State, Michigan, top 10 matchup. Um, I don't really like Penn State that much because I think they're highly overrated and they haven't played at anyone at all, except for that Purdue game in the beginning of the year. Um, which I'll give them credit for that. But besides that, and also Michigan. Michigan is very overrated as well. They haven't played anyone um, worth worth a spit. And um, I'm going to say Michigan probably wins this game because I think Penn State's not very good either. I'm going to say Michigan wins. I'm going to go 24 to like 17. That's what I got. What do you got, Ian? I have a similar score. I think Michigan's defense is going to come up big. I'm going to go um, 27 to 7, and I just don't see the rushing attack of uh, uh, Penn State stopping them for too long. I think it'll be one late in the game where it's just who has the best uh, attrition, and I think Michigan will win that one. Okay, the next game is... Auburn, Ole Miss. I really like Ole Miss in this to to win handedly because Auburn is just a mess right now. I'm going to say Ole Miss wins like 42 to like 10, which is the exact same score they lost to last week. So just it's um, ringing true. Yeah, I'll go with this one. I think Ole Miss pulls away. I'll go 37 to 17 for the Rebels. Yeah, it's just Auburn's a mess right now. Okay. Um, Kansas, Oklahoma, you know, Oklahoma's coming off those three losses, Kansas, tough loss against TCU. Does Kansas rebound here or does Oklahoma actually come back from the, uh, you know, the, the knockout blow from Texas? I think if Dylan Gabriel is healthy, that is what it's going to come down to. Same thing with Jaden Daniels as well. Um, for me, though, if both of them, I'm just going to assume both of them are healthy. Ah, I, you know, Kansas State has won a lot of games close, and I'm not sure that'll work out as well in a game like this. I think Oklahoma gets off the schneid. They win very close, but I'll go 32 to 28 for the Sooners. And I want Kansas to, for the record, I want Kansas to win. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think Kansas is going to win this game just because I liked Bean as quarterback, regardless of what, if Jalen Daniels plays or not. Um, it, I don't know. It doesn't seem like he will play. Seems like he's got a shoulder injury. So that sometimes takes a game or two to get over. 
um, especially when you're trying to throw the ball. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not seeing any news about if he's if he's going to play or not. So I'm leaning towards Bean playing, which I think Bean will be strong. And I think Oklahoma's offense without Dylan Gabriel is terrible. And we'll see if Gabriel's in there. I still think even if Gabriel's in there, KU has enough to beat him. And I'm going to say 30 to 24. Iowa State, Texas, you got your Big Ten going up against your Big 12. Uh, Ian, what do you think in this one? I think this game, um, Iowa State is going to tell Quinn yours beat us because I think they're very good against the run. That's the one thing I know Iowa State is good at is defending the run. So they're going to try to slow down B. John Robinson. And it's going to come down to Ewers' arm to win the game. And I think they do. I think Texas wins. They have a lot of firepower on that side. I think the defense comes up uh, big. Iowa State's offense isn't as uh, dangerous. So I'm going to go with a bit of a lower scoring one. I'll go 28 to 14 for Texas. Yeah, I like Texas in this one. They're if yours is healthy, they're a dangerous team against anyone. Um, and I got Texas winning 35-22. Like their offense is just really good. Okay. Interesting matchup. Minnesota, Illinois. Um, I'm gonna go with Illinois in this one just because I'm I don't know, I'm feeling something about this team. They're on a roll right now. I'm going to say Illinois wins 27 to, like, say, 13. What do you got, Ian? Uh, For this one, I'm going to take, actually, Minnesota on this one. Ah. Minnesota's offense has been much – they've racked up much better yards, especially uh, with uh, Ibrahim, uh, the running back, and – yeah, Abraham's awesome. Yeah. So I think if they, you know, ride him and they run those play action fake passes where Illinois creeps up, that's where I think Minnesota will burn them. And I think the defense is able to hold um the Illini offense as well. So I'm gonna take Minnesota in this one. I'll go with the twenty-five to seventeen win. <laughs> that's an interesting score. Um Vanderbilt, so Georgia. I the reason I put this one on here. Because normally it'd be an ass kicking, but because what they're doing in Vanderbilt is actually relatively interesting, um, I want to hear your thoughts first before I give mine. So go ahead with what you think is going to happen in this game. What I think is going to happen is it's good for Vandy that they're getting better, but Georgia, is, again, their defense is just too good. I just think they're going to suffocate Vandy. Um, on all facets of the game. And again, I don't think Georgia's maybe score a lot, but they're going to like stop Vandy and keep them out of the end zone when they need to. Um, yeah, I'll go Georgia. I'll say, I'm going to say they don't score a lot, but I'll go with a 35 to 13 win for the Bulldogs. I mean, what, Largely hasn't been talked about this Georgia team all year. Well, I mean, it has been. It is their defense is not as good as last year. And because of that fact, um, teams that can move the ball are able to score. You know, Kent State was able to score. Um, Missouri, an okay offense, probably mediocre as best to describe them, was able to move the ball on them. 
I think Vanderbilt can score on them, and I think they're going to score 24 points. But I still think Georgia's going to win. So I think it's going to be close. 32-24 is what I got. All right. Biggest game of the day. It's Right now, it's the biggest game of the year, you know, as far as matchups, you know, potential playoff berth, SEC uh, divisions on the line, getting to Atlanta. You know, you've got – Heisman candidates all over the field. You got Hendon Hooker, you got Will Anderson, you got Jameer Gibbs, you got Bryce Young, all these talented players, you know, Bama coming in, being the beast that they are the last 15 years, you know, not losing a game to Tennessee in that time. Tennessee finally putting up a team that has the ability to beat them. The offense is rolling, but the defense is weak. I think that's really the key here, and that's where I'm going to go with. I'm going to say Alabama wins this game, especially if Bryce Young. I actually don't really – I'm not too too worried. I mean, yes, Bryce Young is a lot better, but I think Milrow proved that he can move the ball even against a Texas A&M team and can win a game there. And I think, you know, obviously Texas A&M has got a better, way better defense than uh, Tennessee – and I think that's the difference there is that Alabama is going to be able to score on that defense where even though Tennessee can move the ball and, and is effective, I don't think they're going to have like a 40-point game. And I think that'll be the reason why they lose. So I'm going to go with Alabama winning. I'm going to say 31 to like uh, 24. What do you got, Ian? Uh, for this one, again, I think – if if Bryce Young is in, it is a different story. But this is the thing. If he's taking this long, I don't know if he will still be at 100% coming into the game. And Alabama defense, on the other hand, has done well, but the offense has struggled uh, mightily. Now, also keep in mind, when they had to face a mobile quarterback in K.J. Jefferson, they didn't look too good either. K.J. Jefferson in the third quarter definitely was able to carve it up. Now you face the penultimate of that with Pendon Hooker. And just looking at how they played this year, you know, they scraped by against Texas um, and against AM, who they clearly outgunned. They weren't as, you know, good looking. I say with this is, uh, and I'm solace with this pick, I think Tennessee wins. I think they win because Alabama just cannot get off the field on defense and they can't get it into the hands of the office. So regardless if it's Bryce, uh, regardless of who the quarterback is, because yeah. I still don't, if Bryce Young is at 100%, I feel much more comfortable because Bryce Young can win you a game. Yeah. But no disrespect to Milrow, but I don't trust him winning a game as much when he has so little time left. Say like if Tennessee, you know, just plays keep away and they can't get off, you know, Alabama can't get off the field. I think that's where it's going to come down to is the time of possession game. Because if Milrow, say he only has like in general, it's um, 25 minutes. I don't think it'll be like that. But let's say time of possession, the whole game, you have 25 minutes to win the game. Go do it. And I only think there's so much the defense can do, especially with how dynamic Hendon Hooker is. I'll take Tennessee. This is my upset of probably the year. Um, I'll take the volunteers. I'll go with a 29 to 21 win. 
All right, Ian, your your death wish. <laughs> I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> I don't like Tennessee as a Gator Neither fan. Do I. I would rather have Tennessee lose too. As much as I hate Alabama, I I don't like seeing you know uh, the main rivals of Florida, Tennessee, and Georgia ever do good. Um, okay, moving on. Oklahoma State TCU. We were talking about this big matchup. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on this one, Ian. What do you think in this game? So, like I said, TCU has definitely been the dark horse this year, and they've been very, very um, under the radar. I think their offense, I think their offense is actually technically averaged more than Oklahoma State, but I think this just comes down to not the better offense, who's the better team in this one, just overall. And I think that's where Oklahoma State comes in. And I think the big thing is, is that there's going to be a close game. Oklahoma State has the experience to win these games. TCU, not so much, not right now. But I think it's going to be really close and really tight, but I'm going to take Oklahoma State winning this one. I'll go with a 34-30 to 30 win for the Cowboys. You know, I... I think the biggest difference here, because this game is going to be pretty even, you know, these are two very good teams. I think the fact that TCU is on such a hot streak right now to start the season. I mean, they both are, but really TCU has played extremely well and they've played some really tough opponents. Um, I like TCU at home. And I think that's something that we haven't looked at a lot with these close games, that being at home is a difference maker. I know I probably went against that in the Alabama game because I think largely Alabama is a better team than Tennessee, just my opinion. But in this game, I think these two teams are even. And I think the difference maker of having a home game with a really loud crowd can be the difference here. Um you know, if this game was at Oklahoma State, I think I would be more impartial to give the Cowboys the the nod. But I think the Horn Frogs are going to have the advantage being at home, and I think that's the difference here. And is sometimes we don't take that into account when we do our analysis, but I think that does play a part when it's a very close game, and that might be the difference maker. So that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, so I'm going to go with. Um, 38 to 35 uh, TCU. What, what was your score? I didn't get it. Sorry. Uh, 34 30 um, Cowboys. Cowboys. Okay. Sorry. Okay. This is an interesting game because this is a team that I've been talking about, but we've kind of like lost track of them lately because it really hasn't been many big games that they've played. I think they were off last week. NC State going up against Syracuse. I really like the Syracuse team because they're pesky. Um, very good offense. It's at home. Again, another advantage for a team like this because Syracuse has an advantage in their carrier dome. Um, NC State with Leary hurt. I don't know if he's going to play. It's again, it's another shoulder injury. So a lot of times, you know, these guys have to take a game or two off to get back to health. I like Syracuse in this one. I'm going to say Syracuse wins probably. Ooh, I'm going to say like 32 to, and if that guy is the quarterback, the backup, I don't like NC State's chances. I say they may score like 12 points. So 32 to 12 is what I'm going with. I I think I'm going to take Syracuse remaining undefeated this one. I think this is just going to be a defensive drag. Um, I'm going to go with Syracuse winning. I'll go with a 23 to 
14 win for the Orange, and they just run the ball all over NC State. That they just struggle to prevent them from getting positive yards. Okay, this game, this next game, would look like it was going to be a really big game at the time when we saw it in the middle of the schedule. Now it's kind of lost its luster. But Arkansas BYU, what do you have for uh, this matchup, Ian? So, I mean, both teams desperately want to get a win here. Both teams have been struggling it on the skid. Um, it's it's again tough to say because if KJ Jefferson is healthy, I like him. But with that being said, I think Jalen Hall is better, and I think the wide receiving core is much more um, dangerous for um, uh, BYU. But this is the crucial thing, is that Arkansas does very good passing and running. So I think with that, it's kind of ah, it's a toss-up, man. Um. You know, Arkansas's defense has struggled a lot. To, you know what? Yeah, you know what? I'll go with BYU in this one because it's a similar kind of passing attack that they have with Mississippi State. Arkansas struggled against Mississippi State. I'm going to go BYU 35 to 25. Yeah, and I'm not – I'm extremely close to what you have. I have 35-28 BYU. I just think BYU's uh, – Offense is going to do enough against the Arkansas defense. And it looks like KJ Jefferson is going to be back. I just looked up the reports. It looks like he's going to be back. So they'll be able to move the ball, but I don't think they'll be able to do enough to win. Okay, moving on real quick. Gardner-Webb, Liberty. Um, I don't know much about Gardner-Webb. I just like bringing it up when they ever play big-time teams because I used to work there. I'm going to say Liberty wins uh, 42 to, like, 22. What do you got, Ian? Yeah, I'm going to go with Liberty, Gardner-Webb. Um, not the same level as a D1, but I'll go uh, Liberty. I'll say let's go 38-7. to seven. Okay. Um, a new contestant in the ring. First time in uh, the bowl subdivision series. James Madison, top 25 team, only f- six games into their schedule, and they're already a top 25 team going up against Georgia Southern. I don't know much about either teams. I've been hearing a little bit about James Madison, just about them being ranked. Um, I want to hear your thoughts, and I'll try to get my prediction as you're talking, so go ahead. So James Madison for them, um, it's, it all come, kind of comes down to the passing tag in the top. Um, I think he already has like 15 touchdown passes and only one interception on the year. It's it's ridiculous. But also the rushing attack has been very dynamic as well. Again, two-headed monster, very tough to deal with. Um, the defense, I think, is really underrated as well. They've done a good job, you know, just stuffing teams and coming up clutch. I think the big, biggest example was especially when they played um, App State. App State, very good offense. And they, you know, were just stuffed them. Uh uh, when they needed to, they give they give up 28 points, but they beat the teams that defense came up when they needed to. Completely different story for Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern's defense is very very bad. I think they're averaging 200 yards a game on both sides of the ball, rushing and passing, and that's not good. So I'm going to go with James Madison winning this one, and I think they run away with it. I'm going to go 45 to 24 uh, for the Dukes. 
Yeah, and I'm just going to go with 30 to 20 just because I don't know anything about either of these teams, and I'm glad you do because that's what I really love, the fact that you are knowledgeable of every good team and you are aware of that, and that's why our podcast is the way it is is because, you know, you are so, uh, you know, good at finding those teams that no one knows about. And I know we had talked about them a little bit, but it's good that we can at least talk about them more. And hopefully I will be able to watch more, especially after this week, watch this recap of their game and to see um, what they're capable of. Okay. So Tulane USF, I'm going to go real quick. I think it's going to be close game. It's homecoming. I think they can pull it off. Are you going to go to the game? Uh, no, I'm, okay. I, I got to work. Okay, so USF, I think, is going to win. I'm going to say USF wins um, 27 to 24. That's what I got in the close one. What do you got, Ian? Uh, I, I want them to win. I want them to win so freaking bad. The problem is Tulane's so offense I. is really good, and USF's defense just has not been there when it needs to be. I got. I got to go with the Green Wave. And they they held. Two. They held Cincinnati in check, though, for the most but they part. They haven't for held anybody of... else in check all year. Florida, they held in check too. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. But uh, I. It's just. Tulane, I, I think I remember doing the homework for this one. Tulane is averaging like 400 yards a game, um, and USF has almost given up 500 yards a game. Yeah. So if it comes down to a shootout, that's good for USF. But the problem is, is that the defense for Tulane has also been pretty solid, especially against the run, yeah. um, which is about the only thing USF can really try to attack them with. So I'm going to take Tulane winning this one. I'll go 28-17. to 17. Please prove me wrong. Also, Tulane, their logo sucks. <laughs> nice. <laughs> this, this you mean, I hate the one mean, with the wave and the megaphone. I was like, what was wrong with the T and the wave? That was cool. That one, I get throwback logos are nice, but it's like if the Gators went back to the old Albert logo, which I love, yeah, but yeah. not as a primary logo. Well, you're, you're talking about Poo Lane. Remember that? Yeah, old yeah. Poo Lane. <laughs> okay. Uh, LSU, Florida. Uh, it's the Tom Petty day. Um, you know, this game has always meant a lot to a lot of people because it's such a, you know, been a very close rivalry the last 30 years. And, um, uh, you know, the, the thing with this one this year is the fact that, you know, Billy Napier was coaching at Louisiana with the raging Cajuns. And, uh, you would have thought that LSU would have come calling, but they didn't. Um, of what I've heard is that they didn't even offer, they didn't call nothing, so they had no interest in him, and which is kind of intriguing considering they had him right in their back door and they didn't want to do it. Um, this is probably going to be, you know, uh, a big game for Billy because of what it means to him because he was there competing against them for recruits the last several years, and you know he probably wants to hammer them. And I hope he has a game plan to do that. LSU has struggled this year. Um, you know, bringing in Brian Kelly has not been easy for them because, you know, they have been so downtrodden the last couple of years, but they still have a lot of talent. They're just not very organized. They'll probably get there next year or the year after. Just this year has been a very, um, 
uh, rough go, even though they only have two losses. Um, but I think if Anthony Richardson can put together a good game, which I know he's capable of, I think they could win this game handedly. And I think Florida can win this game. I think Florida's going to win the game like 31 to like 20. That's what I'm going to go with. So for me, uh, so it's going to come down to this is that LSU has obviously not looked great and the competition has been too tough. But this is what I I was thinking about is that regardless when they played um, Tennessee, I think the reason that it was so dangerous is that they had to worry about the threat of Hendon Hooker running in that. So I think if Richardson establishes that early, that he can run the ball, get those first downs and, you know, make the big play, then that's going to make it a lot easier for the passing game, especially the rushing game, of course. Um, The thing is, though, is that I think LSU is just the more consistent team, with especially if Daniels is healthy. And also, besides the Tennessee game, their defense has actually done very well. I think the most they gave up before that point was 17, or or whoever FSU beat them with. With that, yeah, I think they gave up 24 technically to Florida State. So for me, this is a tough defense that Florida's face, and they don't do too well against, you know, tough defenses. Prove me wrong. LSU wins 27 to 21. I mean, have you picked Florida to win at all this year? I have. What? But Eastern again, Washington? But we didn't even pick that game. I picked them at USF. <laughs> Ian, one game. To I'm not, pick look, them. Obviously, That's as a fan, bad, I dude. want them to win. I want them to win. And that. But you want Are the you sure about pick. that? <laughs> yes, obviously. I'm just I want nothing more than the Gators to win. I want them to win. I, like I always said, I so hope I'm wrong. Yeah. No, I think you're right. The defense is definitely strong and their D-line is probably the difference maker. But Florida is able to run the ball. And I think that's what LSU has not seen so far this year is that Florida's offensive line is very imposing. Um, uh, Torrance is amazing. Uh, the, you know, the tackles are great. Uh, uh Ethan White is awesome, you know, uh, Kingsley. I think Kingsley, right, the center? Yes. Uh, Yeah, so, like, those guys, the offensive line can move people, and the running backs are really good. You know, both those guys almost had 100 yards each against an SEC opponent, and Missouri is a good defense. Their D-line is not as good as LSU, but their linebacking core is decent for Missouri. I would say LSU's linebacking core is not as good, but um, I think – They'll be effective running the ball. And I think that's really where the difference lies in the game. And I think that's why Florida should win the game. Okay. Clemson FSU. Um, what is your thoughts on this game? Uh, I think Clemson will win this one. I think Florida State, you know, they make plays, but I don't think they 
have enough in the tank to beat Clemson. I think Clemson just runs away with it. I'm going to go 38 to 14 for Clemson. I also want to mention more people need to start. I get like people made fun of Giga Lely for not having a good season last year. The dude is on fire. He's almost passing 1,500 yards already, and I think yeah. he has over 14 touchdowns. So I need like people need to start talking more about him. He is not a bad quarterback. Oh, for sure, you're totally right, and I I agree. Like Clemson is. This is not the same Clemson team from last year. They already have the win against Wake. You know, they already beat NC State. So they're pretty much in the path to the ACC championship game, which if if they win that, they get into the playoffs. So um I'm I'm totally agreeing. And I think I think Florida State may be a little bit closer in this one. I'm gonna say 38-20, but they're not good. And this is loss number three for those boys. And uh, they deserve every loss they get because they're they're terrible fans. Okay, Mississippi State, Kentucky. I'm gonna say Mississippi State blows them out. I'm gonna say 45 to like 20. What do you got? Uh, I'm gonna take Mississippi State in this one. Uh, the defense has kind of been bending um, for Kentucky. They gave up 24 points to South Carolina and. The thing is that the offense has just been stuck in neutral. Yeah. Um, they haven't, I think they've scored more than 30 points twice, but they can only muster 14 points last week against a very anemic South Carolina team. So I'm going to take Mississippi State in this one. I just think it's going to pretty much, Mississippi State will score more than like 25 points, and that'll probably be enough to beat Kentucky because they haven't shown me all year that they can beat a team that scores more than 25 points in them. So I'm going to go. 34 to 17 for the Mississippi State. I think the defense does slow uh, for Kentucky, does slow them down a bit. Okay. Last big game, real quick, and then we have another one after that. But just uh, USC, Utah. Um, this game, I wanted to make sure. I wanted to make sure it's in Salt Lake City before I. It, it is. Okay, it is. Okay, so this is a tough one. I like both of these teams. Utah is a very good defense. They got kind of exposed against um, UCLA. UCLA is a very good team. Um, missing that tight end, Keithy or Queethy or whatever his name is, I don't know how to say it correctly, yeah. but missing him because he's out for the year is a huge deal because they're not as proficient in the passing game without him. And their wide receivers are not as good. So I like USC in this game. It's going to be close. I'm going to say it's going to be like a, I don't know, probably like a 24 to like 20 game. So one thing I've noticed this year is that UCLA um, has kind of struggled a bit on the road. They barely beat. Um, Oregon State, and then uh, against Stanford. You mean USC? A, you said UCLA. Oh, U- USC. Sorry. Yes, the the, the other Cal, the two California teams. Why are LA teams. LA, yeah, LA teams. LA teams. Call them, <laughs> yeah, call them Los Angeles of Tech or whatever. Make it easy for me. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, like USC let you know Stanford kind of back into the game, um, and they had to come up um in. Uh, just look terrible against Oregon State and we're lucky to win. So now you got to go to Utah, which is 
better than both of them. I know I've been high on Utah. I think I've picked Utah a lot, but I honestly see the upset here. I just, I think USC has struggled on the road and they just struggle to put the team away. I think USC jumps out big, but I think Utah just finds a way to fight back. I'll go Utes in this one. I'm going to go 27 to 24. I think they'll, I think that it'll be a bit, you know what? No, no, no. I'll go 30 to 27 for Utah. Yeah, I mean, it should be close. I think we're both – we're not, you know, overlooking that fact. These are very evenly matched teams. And, you know, the fact, again, that it is a home game for Utah does help. But USC has already won two um, Pac-12 games on the road, so I think that helps them there so that they're ready for that a little bit better than most teams. Um, but also um, – you know, uh, I like USC's offense as well. Like I said, Travis Dye is a beast. He'll put up a lot of yards, and I think he'll be able to run because, you know, Florida was able to run against Utah as well, and so was Charbonneau. So I think Travis Dye is going to be able to run against them. And if Caleb Williams can make enough plays in the offense, I think USC gets the win. Okay, Washington State, Oregon State. Let's do this one real quick. I'm going to say Oregon State wins this one. It's going to be close. I'm going to say 35 to 31. What do you got? Uh, I'm going to go... I'll go Oregon State in this one. I think it'll kind of actually be a high-scoring affair, uh, but I'll take the Beavers in this one. I'll go 42-35 Oregon State. Okay, cool. All right, that is our uh, look ahead for week seven, or week eight, actually. Wait, yes, week Week eight. Sorry, yeah. It's confusing because we have those week zeros and all this garbage, so it's like hard to really keep track. Or is it week seven? I think because last week was week six. Yes, you're right, because Florida had six game, six games. This is week seven. All right, so, sorry for the confusion. I, I wrote the wrong thing in here. Okay, so, yeah, this is the look ahead for week seven. So that's it. That's the show. That's who we are. Um, you can reach us at haterradio.com for all of the articles. I have a bunch of stuff, my UCLA articles I just wrote. Um, I'm probably going to write an LSU article. Um, but I don't know if I'm going to get time to it. I want to, um, but look for that. An LSU Florida article there. Um, next, what is it? Two weeks from now, we'll have an article from Ian um, telling you now. So Ian, you, just to know, you got an article coming up, uh, the Florida Georgia game. So we'll talk about that. Probably a state of the union as well about where Florida is at uh, midway, m- midway through the year. But you can find our articles there and the podcast there at haterradio.com. Uh, you can find us on all the uh, networks, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you can find podcasts, we are on there. Um, you can reach us on Twitter at hater underscore radio there for Twitter and Instagram and reach us at haterradio1 at gmail.com for email. Uh, Ian, what are your socials before we go? Uh, G double underscore Gator double underscore G for Instagram and G Gator G on YouTube. All right. That's it. That's the show. Ian, get to class. Don't be late. Uh, All right. Take care, everyone. (laughs) 